friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So we're now ready to go to the Word of God. May I request everybody to please rise from their seats. And let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Shall we bow our heads in prayer at this time? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful morning, O oh God, we thank you for the opportunity to exalt, praise, and magnify your holy name. Indeed, Lord, you deserve all our praises and even more. And we thank you for our, your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you watch over your people. And we thank you that in your sovereignty, you arrange circumstances, you arrange people, you designate events for our own good and for our own spiritual welfare. And for that, we are thankful, O Lord. And today, O God, you have laid aside purposes for each and every individual, and you have laid aside a purpose, O God, for your church. And so our prayer is that everything that you have prepared for us, we will be able to receive we trust, O oh God, that we might be able to understand your will. And may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit to obey and apply the scriptures that we will learn today. Father, teach us, O oh God, to view you in the way we should, because you are great and mighty and glorious. You are the God who is able. You are the God who is greater than we can imagine. And so we thank you for this morning. I pray for myself that you might anoint my lips of clay, that I might speak boldly your word, seeking only your own glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Twofold Prophet of Generosity. Now, in the previous sermon, just for us to be reminded of what we talked about last Sunday, we talked about the generosity of the Philippian church. They were consistently generous. And we also saw that Paul happened to be on the receiving end of that generosity. Now, lest we think that Paul was a religious shenanigan who just wanted to enrich himself out of the generosity of the Philippian church, Paul here states the motive that he had 
why he was receiving the love offerings given to him by the Philippian church. And his motive actually was for the benefit of the Philippian church. He was not thinking about himself. He was not thinking about his personal benefit. But rather, what he was thinking about was the benefit and the profit that would come into the lives and into the church of Philippi. That was his concern. So, we will break down our sermon into three points this morning. We will have to talk about, first of all, Paul's motive, which was the profit of the Philippians. Again, Paul's motive here is the profit of the Philippians. And then, secondly, we will break this down and we will talk about Philippians' spiritual profit, the Philippians' spiritual profit. And then the third point will be the Philippians' material profit. And in our study today, I hope that we would be able to understand and comprehend what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the book of Acts when He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think I'd like us to repeat that phrase, that verse. Could we say this, please? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Of course, we know that this is hard for the natural man to accept, but if you and I have been released by the Spirit of God into this area of Christian experience, we know exactly what Paul means here when he talks about the prophets of giving. And this is what you and I will be talking about in today's sermon. So, Let's go to the first point right now. Let's talk about Paul's motive, which was the prophet of the Philippians. Now, verse 17 opens up with this statement. He goes, not that I seek the gift itself. Again, Paul is saying here, not that I seek the gift itself. Now, in all of these we know that Paul knew that he could be misconstrued as adverse to advertising his needs in a very subtle way. And Paul did not want to be misunderstood. He was very concerned about his integrity. He wanted people to understand that his main concern was the lost souls. His main concern was to plant churches. His main concern was to disciple people. That was his main concern. He did not want people thinking that he was out there planting churches to enrich himself. And so he wanted to correct such misconceptions if ever they were present. Paul never sought the gifts of other people. And this is something that we actually see in Acts 20, verses 33 to 34. I'd like you to please open your Bibles to Acts 20, 33 to 34. Allow me to give you a little background on Acts chapter 20. Uh, what happened there was called, Paul rather called upon the Ephesian elders because he felt that that was the last time he would meet up with them. And so he wanted to share to them some parting shots some very important and urgent matters. And on top of his agenda was to share to them the fact 
that he had conducted himself to them in a manner wherein they were able to see his integrity as a minister of God. But he wanted to remind them of that. So in Acts 20 verses 33 to 34, this is what he said to them. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Again, let me repeat what he said. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Then he goes in verse 34, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Now, this basically tells us that in the Ephesian church, and of course also in the Corinthian church, Paul was actually bivocational. He did not go full-time in ministry, but rather he sustained himself by working on tents and by doing some leather work. And the reason why he did that is because he did not want to receive any material things. He did not want to receive money from the Corinthian and Ephesian church, lest he be misunderstood that he was after their money. And so that was the reason why he went by vocational in Ephesus as well as in Corinth. Of course, in the other churches that he planted, he was actually able to go full-time because the people were spiritually mature enough to minister to his own needs so that he did not need to have work outside of the church. And that is why he explains himself to them by saying, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. So again, Paul makes it clear, While I appreciate your love gifts to me, understand that is not my motive. And I am receiving all these material resources not for my own profit, but the truth of the matter is I seek the benefit that goes to your account. And I believe this is the reason why this has to be taught from the pulpit. Because if this is not taught in the pulpit, then people will actually be shortchanged. They will not be able to receive the blessing that God intends for them to receive because they do not know that this is part of their obligation and privilege as well as worship before the Lord. And that is why I have a responsibility to teach this particular subject matter to you because this will add to you. This will bless you. This will grant God's favor upon your life. And so if I don't preach this to you, then you will not receive the goodness and the blessing of God. But then again, let it be known that in the same manner that Paul had this motive, this should be the motive of every preacher and Bible teacher of God. D.L. Moody himself, speaking about his integrity, said this, I have always been ambitious, ambitious to leave no wealth or possessions. His desire was realized. Although thousands of dollars passed through his hands, he prayerfully gave it away. 
So we have an example, a very good example in the case of D.L. Moody, who sought the benefit of people and not his own personal enrichment. So if this was not the motive of Paul, the question is, what was his motive? Again, we take a look at the verse that we just read, and let's follow through. This is what it says. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Again, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And truth to tell, this is something that excites me. Not for myself, but this is something that excites me for you. Because in the same manner that Paul wanted the Philippians to receive a profit or benefit from God, this is my motive as well. I want the people of Living Word to be blessed as well. I want the people who are listening to our live stream to be blessed as well. Again, this was the intention of Paul. The Greek word for the word increase here or abound in some of your translations is the Greek word pleionatso, which means to do, to make, or be more, meaning to increase or, by extension, to superabound, abound, abundant, make, to increase, and have over. So these are the words that can possibly translate this Greek word. This word therefore speaks of an overflowing return of investment. Could you say this with me? Overflowing return of investment. Now, how many here would like to receive an overflowing flow of or rather overflowing return of investment. Raise your hands. All right. We all want that, of course. But you and I know that there are certain conditions and prerequisites that accompany this particular blessing. But first of all, and I think it is only proper that Paul began with the spiritual profit that we are to receive when we are consistently and faithfully giving to God. And I believe that's where we need to start. We cannot begin talking about the material profit, first of all, because that might make us covetous and greedy. And you and I know that in the book of Colossians, it says that covetousness is actually idolatry. So idolatry is not just the worship of images made of stone and wood. Idolatry can be something that is actually in our hearts. So when we are covetous, we're actually guilty of idolatry. We have another God. God has another rival, and that happens to be money. And you and I know that Jesus said we cannot serve both God and mammon at the same time. Either we serve God or we serve money. But if we are covetous, we are not worshiping God. We are worshiping money instead. And that's the reason why I think Paul was correct when he started off by speaking about the spiritual profit that goes to our account when we are consistently giving to the work or the workers of the Lord. 
And so where do we find that? We find that in verse 18. Now, what does verse 18 say? It says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, when Paul says, I have received everything, of course, he was talking about the material resources or the love offering that the Philippian church had sent through Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus happens to be the messenger here. And so, Paul was saying that what he received from them was full, meaning to say that all of his needs were actually met. In fact, he even says here that he received it in abundance. And that may mean that he received more than what he actually needed. And so he had a little surplus. The Philippian church gave so generously, it did not just minister to his own needs, it was more than what he actually needed. And that is why he says further that he was amply supplied. Again, the one who brought this love offering was none other than Epaphroditus himself. Now, here's something I'd like to point out to you because there are phrases here which might appear to be out of its settings, but actually it is not really out of its settings. I'm talking about phrases like fragrant aroma or this phrase, unacceptable sacrifice, or this phrase, well-pleasing to God. Now, the question, of course, is what's the connection of these phrases to their giving their material resources to Paul? What's the connection? The connection is this. Whatever we give is never unidirectional. It is always dual in direction. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. When we do a good act to somebody, when we minister to somebody else's need, remember this. We're not just doing it to the needy person. We're actually doing it to God Himself. Are you listening? So the direction is never just one way. It is never just that person that is needy that we are helping out. Whatever we do, we're actually doing it for the Lord. That is why Paul was saying it's a fragrant aroma. It is an acceptable sacrifice. It is well-pleasing to God. Now, I'd like to point out as a cross-reference, Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. Now, as we talk about Matthew 25, 34 to 40 and deal about its application, I would like you to know that the primary context here is that it is referring to the Jews in the tribulation period. Now, in the tribulation period, the Antichrist will attack the Jews with all his might. He will try in that seven-year period to destroy the Jews and the nation of Israel. That is what the Antichrist will attempt to do. 
And that is why the Jews will be persecuted, they will be in hiding, they will be running away even as they preach the gospel. Now, of course, if that would be their situation, they would be in great difficulty. And this is the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ not only gives a word of prophecy regarding the Jews, but He is telling the people in the future, you need to treat well the Jews in the tribulation period. Now, of course, the application for us today is this. Whatever we do to other people, we are also doing it unto the Lord. Remember that. So your giving is never an isolated case. So let's go to Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40 at this time. And, and this is one of my favorite passages. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. They would be surprised, and they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? Then the king will answer. I'm sorry, verse 39 rather. When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, listen well, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Did you see that? Let's repeat that verse. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So once again, any good act, any good deed, any kind act, any act of compassion is never isolated. It is never limited to the person that is needy whom we have ministered to. God recognizes everything that we do and He considers it a good deed that is done unto Him. That is why whatever good we do is never unidirectional. It is always dual in direction. And you know what? That should inspire us and motivate us to do good. Why? Because we know God is watching. 
And many times we might do certain good things because we want people to admire us. We want people probably to say that we are good or we are kind or we are compassionate. The truth of the matter is there are a lot of thankless people. There are a lot of ingrates and they may not even appreciate what you do for them. Nevertheless, nevertheless, what is more important is that we bring a smile on the face of God. It doesn't matter if people do not applaud us. It does not matter if people do not thank us. The important thing is that every good thing that we do is actually recognized by God. It's so interesting that even very small things that we do are actually recognized by the Lord. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you give a prophet a drink of water, you will receive a prophet's reward. Think about that. It's just a glass of water. And yet in the mind of God, in the heart of God, He recognizes that good act. And sometimes we have become so indifferent. Sometimes there is so much apathy Sometimes we lack so much compassion in our hearts, we fail to do good, not knowing that God is actually watching over us. God recognizes everything that we do. And why is this so important? Because when you and I face God in the Bema judgment seat, allow me to just explain a little bit about the Bema judgment seat. There are actually two judgment seats. You have the Bema judgment seat and you have the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is the judgment of unbelievers. We will not pass through the great white throne judgment. Why? Because you and I, if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says we have eternal life. The Bible says our names are written in the book of life. So if there's one thing we have as believers in Christ, we have the assurance of salvation. We have the assurance of eternal life. So we will not pass through the great white throne judgment. What we will pass through, however, at the rapture is what is called as the Bema judgment seat. Now, the Bema judgment seat is not a seat that will determine whether you are saved or you will go to hell. That's not what it is. Because we have Christ, we already are going to go to heaven. We have that assurance. So if that's true, what is the Bema judgment seat all about? Well, it's all about judgment as far as rewards are concerned. So God is going to judge us on the basis of the good deeds that we have done, on the basis of our intentions and our motives. And on that basis, He will determine if we are deserving of receiving a reward or not. So it has nothing to do with salvation, but it has everything to do with our receiving of rewards. Now, what interests me in the Scriptures is the fact that the Bible says in the book of Revelation, that when we get to be in heaven, He will wipe away our tears. And the question that arises in my mind is, 
Isn't that heaven? And if it is heaven, why will God have to wipe away our tears? Does that mean that we will tear up in heaven still? I believe so. At the beginning, there will be tears. And what do you think those tears will be? Those tears will be tears of regret. Tears that we have wasted some opportunities. Tears because there were certain things that God called upon us to do and we did not do them. Tears because we were given opportunities to show forth the light of God to the world. Opportunities maybe to share the gospel and we did not do. We withheld ourselves from doing a good act. And I think when our lives are flashback, just, just imagine, and I don't think it's going to be that way, but just imagine your life being flashed back on this LED screen, everything that you did from your birth all the way to your death. Some of those things we would be happy about, but some of those things we would be ashamed. Some of those things we would be embarrassed and we would bow our heads, and I believe we would start tearing up. And Jesus, in his graciousness, will wipe away those tears. And he will say, that's the reason why I died for you. You have failed me. You have not been faithful. Nevertheless, you will enter heaven because I died for you. There's another verse that seems to confirm what I am saying to you. In 1 John, it says that we will shrink, there will be some of us who will shrink in shame at His coming. Shrink in shame at His coming. And the question is, why should we shrink in shame at His coming? Isn't it a glorious event? Isn't that the event in the world that we are waiting for to be raptured, to be caught up in the air with the Lord Jesus Christ. What an event that would be. It would be a mind-blowing event. Why should we shrink in shame at that time? Why? And the answer is the same thing. We would shrink in shame because we realize, Lord, I didn't think you were coming this soon. I didn't know you were coming this early, Lord. I hope that you had tarried a little bit so I could have done so much more. But you and I know we cannot change an event that has been predestined by God. When the rapture takes place, it's going to take place. And you cannot turn back the hands of time and say, Lord, bring me back to the 1980s. Bring me back to the 1970s. Bring me back to the 1990s. Let me do it all over again. You can't do it. Any wasted opportunity remains a wasted opportunity. We cannot change whatever we have done through the timeline of our lives. So some of us, instead of raised heads waiting for us to be caught up in the air, some of us will be 
having bowed head, shrinking in shame at His coming. And we will be beating our chests and saying, Lord, sorry. I'm sorry. And that is why, friends, I present to you something that is very important because sometimes we go about our lives as if God is not watching us. We go about our lives as if God is not there. It is just as if we will meet God at the end of our days. We meet God every day. God is present every day of our lives. He's watching us 24-7. He's even there when we're sleeping. And you know, when we have this consciousness and awareness of God, it changes the way you live. Because you know somebody up there is watching you. He's watching how you react. He's watching how you respond. He's watching how you live out your life. And that is why, friends, whatever we do is never an isolated case. It's not like a page that you can strip out of a book and put somewhere. No, it's all there, all the chapters, all the things that we do are written in our own book, and God keeps a record of it. What do we want to hear at the end of our days? When we face the Bema judgment seat of God, here is what we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? That's what we want to hear. Amen? That is what we want to hear. And that is why, again, that's the reason why Paul was talking about Aroma. That's the reason why he was talking about acceptable sacrifice. Let's talk about aroma that was fragrant. The term fragrant offering, by the way, was used in Leviticus in the Septuagint for an offering that pleased God. All right? It was an offering that pleased God. It was also used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 in relation to Christ's offering of Himself. When Jesus died on the cross, offered Himself to the Father and for the sins of men, it was a fragrant aroma to the Lord. And actually, and I think I shared this story to you a few months back. Well, let me share it again. I recall when I went to the canteen and I saw this schoolmate of mine who was a homosexual and I sat him down and in our canteen I began to share the gospel to him and he began to tear up. I believe that as I was sharing the gospel to him, it was really touching his heart and he was feeling the love of Jesus. And right at that very moment when I was sharing to this homosexual, I smelled a fragrant aroma. And it's not any earthly aroma that I have ever smelled before. I know what an earthly scent is all about. 
I know how perfume smells. I know how flowers smell. I know how candles, scented candles smell. It was an aroma of another kind. It was heavenly, and it was as if God was telling me, Son, you're doing right. Son, I love what you are doing as you are sharing the gospel to this homosexual. I love it that you are not discriminating him, but rather sharing the love of Christ and trying to make him understand to come to Christ that his life might be changed. Some of the things that we do are actually fragrant aromas to the Lord. Then he uses the term acceptable sacrifice. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, when you talked about sacrifice, what did you think of? Well, we think of lambs, bulls, goats, sheep, turtle doves, pigeons. These were what were offered or sacrificed in the Old Testament. And so the question is, now in the New Testament, do we still sacrifice? The answer is yes. We still do sacrifice. But do we do it with animal sacrifices? No, that's, that's Old Testament. We're now in the New Covenant. So what is it that we sacrifice unto the Lord? Well, there are many things. For example, Paul looked on their gift, their generous gift, which we are talking about here, as a spiritual sacrifice laid on the altar to the glory of God. And then if you survey the New Testament, you find other spiritual sacrifices in the Christian life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 talks about that. Let's not open our Bibles because I'm just going to run through this as a list. Note it down. Read it at home. So that's one. Uh, what we do are considered spiritual sacrifices in the Christian life. Then in Romans 12, 1 to 2, it says, when we yield our bodies to the Lord, it is a spiritual sacrifice. Then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the praise of our lips is a sacrifice. That is why it is called the sacrifice of praise. We, have a, we even made a song for that, right? We bring what? A sacrifice of what? Of praise. And by the way, let me go on a little rabbit trail here. That's the reason why we have to come here for praise and worship. Praise and worship is not, it is not warm up for the Word of God. The service does not begin when the sermon starts. The service begins when the song leader begins to exhort us why we need to worship. So let that be a motivation on our part to participate in praise and worship. You know why? Because as priests of the Lord, we are supposed to offer sacrifices of praise. That's what we offer to God. Friends, if you really think about it, how much do we offer God? What is it that we offer to God? Sometimes very little. And so if we think Sunday, we think Lord's Day, what should we be thinking about? We should be excited about going to the house of the Lord because this is now my opportunity to sing songs to the Lord. This is my opportunity to add my voice 
to the multitude of voices that are singing today on the Lord's Day. Now, you might say, my voice will not make a difference. Well, God wants to hear your voice. God wants to hear you sing. God wants you to to cry out to Him and declare His praises and honor Him. God wants that happening. So don't withhold that from God. But rather, come here early and worship the Lord. Offer your sacrifice of praise because we are a royal priesthood. Do not be stingy when it comes to your offering of sacrifices to the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it says, Good works are a sacrifice to the Lord. When we win lost souls, when we are privileged to win people to Jesus Christ, Romans 15, 16 declares that as another sacrifice. Here, Paul sees the Philippian believers as priests giving their offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. And also, let's be mindful, based, of, based on Malachi 1, 6-4, that when we offer our sacrifices to the Lord, let us present to Him the finest of what we can offer. So when we are singing songs, how do you sing? Do you simply mouth lyrics? Or is it heartfelt? Yesterday, we had our congregational prayer and fasting, and I told the people, pray with passion, pray with earnestness, pray with heart. I said, as far as I'm concerned, I'm desperately in need of God. Pray with desperation. Pray with earnestness. Pray with intensity. Because sometimes we do something, our heart is not there at all. We do something, the passion is not there at all. And we need to be able to challenge ourselves as the people of God to excel still more. You probably recall that illustration I shared a few years ago about many people thinking that the world was flat, and they thought that at the edge of the world would be the pillars of Hercules. And so when they came up with a coin during that time, they called it ne plus ultra, which means no more beyond. But then there were explorers like Columbus and many others who discovered that No, there is no edge. The world is not flat. The world is round. Quite interestingly, the book of Job, which is one of the earliest books that was composed. By the way, it might have been composed almost at the same time as the book of Genesis. Or the time involved there was somewhere in the timeline of the book of Genesis. And think about this. As early as the book of Job, it was already stated that the earth is a spear. While the whole world was thinking the world was flat, God was saying, no, it's not flat, it's round, it's a spear. And there is where you see the infallibility of God's Word. But then again, friends, as we think about that, what the people realized was, no, it's, 
we don't have the limits of the pillars of Hercules. There's more beyond. So they changed their coin from ne plus ultra, which means no more beyond. It became plus ultra, which means more beyond. And I'd like to challenge you. Where are you exactly in your spiritual life? Remember, we are all priests. I'm not the only priest here. The elders are not the only priests here. The Bible says we are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a nation. And we are not just a nation. We are a royal priesthood. Listen well. No priest enters the temple without a sacrifice. Every priest enters the temple with the intention of offering a sacrifice. As the royal priest of God, we need to be asking ourselves the question, what have we been offering to the Lord? What sacrifices have we been giving to the Lord? Now, as a sidebar, the fact that Paul calls it a sacrifice may indicate their impoverishment or the impoverishment of the Philippian church. And that is true and confirmed by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. The Macedonian churches, particularly the Philippian church, was in rock-bottom poverty. So what they gave to Paul was so sacrificial in the sense that they had very little, they had many needs, and yet they gave. That is why I always keep saying, poverty is never an excuse for not giving. Poverty is never an excuse for not giving. The poor in the Old Testament gave. The Philippian church, which was in rock-bottom poverty, did not use that as an excuse not to give. They were faithful and consistent in their giving. Let me share to you the story of an elderly fisherman who was known for his generosity because he fed many hungry people during the hard winters. Now, at 73 years of age, he had only $60 to his name. Yet he still insisted on buying food for the needy children in his neighborhood. Somebody tried to talk to his senses and said to him one day, You're getting old. You shouldn't give away your last dime. And this was his response. My friend, God will take care of me. I could not let those youngsters go hungry, could I? And there is where you see a man who did not see his poverty as an excuse. He was willing to help in spite of his own difficulty. Paul uses another word, by the way, or another phrase here. In some of your translations, it is agreeable or well-pleasing to God in some translations. Now, here's the thing. The fact that what they gave was an aroma that was fragrant to God, the fact that it was an acceptable sacrifice, the fact that it was agreeable or well-pleasing to God was in itself a spiritual profit or a spiritual reward to them. Because when you bring a smile on the face of God, that's a reward. 
Amen? Amen? Isn't that a reward? I, I recall the time when I was still actively pre, uh, playing basketball in high school. And my, my dad would watch me as I did shooting practice. Whenever the ball went inside the ring, whenever the, 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 there was a swish of the net because the, wall, or the ball was, was getting inside the ring, I would look at the side and see if my father saw that. Did you see that? And my father, without talking, would just smile with his eyes, appreciating that shot. And I recall when my children, my, when my two sons were playing basketball, they, they were playing varsity basketball in high school. And whenever they would make a shot, they would look on the side and see, are you watching? And with, my, with the same appreciative eyes that my father showed to me, I showed them that I appreciated, admired, and loved them making the basket. And that to them, that to me, was a reward. And that is why this was what Paul was talking about, the spiritual prophet. That whatever we do, we might not receive any thanks. People might not admire or appreciate what we do. But you know what? What is really important is that God delights in what we do. Amen? That is what is important. And that is a reward to us. Hallelujah. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. We are assured of eternal rewards as well. Take a look at Matthew 6, 19 and 20, please. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. By the way, let me ask you this question. Let's make this very practical. How can you obey this verse? When the Bible says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, how do you obey this? Let me ask you another question. Can you obey this? Listen well. Can you obey verse 19? If you withhold what you are supposed to give to God, yes or no? No answer? Maybe I need to ask the question again. Let me ask it again. All right? Can I obey the Scripture, this command which says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth? Can I obey this if I withhold what is supposed to be given to God? Yes or no? Louder, please. Louder, please. There you go. You cannot. Because... The thing is, if you withhold what is given or what is supposed to be given to God, in effect, you will be doing the opposite of this commandment. Instead of not storing up, you will be storing up things and treasures for yourself. So here's the thing. The only way to obey this verse, this commandment, is for me to be consistently, generously giving to the work of the Lord. That's the only way. Otherwise, I will be accumulating when in fact this verse is commanding us 
to de-accumulate. That's what this verse is commanding. De-accumulate. Not accumulate, but de-accumulate. And what's the reward in that? Well, here's the reward. Let's read again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. You know, the nature of everything we have on this earth is that it is temporary, it is fleeting, it will be taken away from us. I recall the time when people were still buying video cameras. You recall that time? People love it. Now, you just have, need an iPad or an iPhone. You can, you can actually capture certain things already, even just using your phone. But anyway, there was this, this video camera that we had dreamed of buying. And we were able to purchase it, and we were excited because we could now record the events, the memorable events of our lives. Well, guess what happened? Right after we bought it, I think the following day, thieves broke into our house and stole the video camera and that just broke our hearts because we just bought it yesterday and now it was stolen but here's the thing that is the nature of things in this life it gets stolen it gets rusty it gets destroyed that's why the Bible is saying to us don't store up treasures here on earth Store up treasures where? Where? In heaven. How many would like to have treasures in heaven? Raise your hands, please. All right. Are you sure? Do you know it, Amen. So how do you do that? By de-accumulating. But that's just the spiritual prophet. There is another prophet, which is material. Which brings us to our third point, the Philippians' material prophet. Let's read verse 19. And I'd like everybody to read this aloud, all right? At the count of three. One, two, read. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Say it again. For the last time, say it again. That's speaking about the material profit that you get out of consistent, faithful giving. Now, let me ask you this question. Does God lie, yes or no? Will God fulfill His promise here, yes or no? Yes, He will fulfill His promise. So here's the thing. This is really a matter of faith. 
The reason why we are not consistently, faithfully giving is because we don't trust the promises of God enough. Because if we did believe and trust in the promises of God, if we believed in the integrity and the holiness of God, we would follow exactly what He requires of us because God never lies. Whatever God promises, He will always fulfill. Amen? Our God is not a liar. Our God speaks the truth. Hallelujah. Our God speaks the truth. Enlarge your vision of God. Because sometimes we unfairly look God in this way. We see God as tiny, puny, and small. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not somebody you, you carry on your shoulders. The God of the Bible is the creator of the entire universe where you have millions of galaxies. We, we cannot even possibly imagine how small and how tiny we are in the, in the whole expanse of this universe. And yet, God has such a huge heart for His people that each and every individual to Him is important. He knows His sheep by name. Hallelujah. Amen? We're not just a face in the crowd. We are all specially loved by our God. That is how big the heart of our God is. Hallelujah. And see God that way. You need to see God that way. However, as we look at this verse, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Understand, there's a word end there. Now, what does the word end mean? It's a conjunction. Meaning to say, you cannot just simply look at this word as a separate, isolated statement. And sometimes that is how we have treated Philippians 4.19 as a separate, isolated statement. When you do that, you are violating Scripture. Because that was not intended as a stand-alone verse. Let me repeat that. This is not intended as a stand-alone verse. This is a verse that connects itself with all the others. That's why you have the word end there. And what is the end talking about? It is talking about the faithful, consistent giving and generosity of the Philippian church. So here's the thing. In other words, this is really a conditional promise. Say conditional promise. Say it out again. Conditional promise. This is a conditional promise. So the thing is, I can only believe and claim this verse if I am a faithful, consistent, generous 
giver to the work of the Lord. That's the only time I can say, and my God, because I have been doing this, because I am consistent in my generosity, I am consistent in my giving, therefore, my God will supply all my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'd like to break this down a little bit just for us to be able to appreciate it. It is when we are faithful in our giving that we can expect God to supply not some. What does it say here? All. Say, say it out loud, please. What? All. How many here want God to supply all of your needs? Think about the all in your life. Think about the tuition fees you have to pay. Think about the rentals you have to pay. Think about the electric bills you have to pay. Think about the cable fees that you have to pay. Think about the internet bills that you have to pay. Think about your travel expenses, your transportation expenses. Think about the taxes you have to pay. Think about everything that you need to spend on. He will supply all. Amen? He will supply all. Not just some, but all. And sometimes here lies the root of our financial woes. Let me say it again because this is so important. Sometimes, and I do not want to generalize this too much or make a categorical statement. I just, that's why I'm using the word sometimes. Sometimes here lies the root of our financial woes. We are not faithful in the matter of giving. As I mentioned to you, this promise is conditional. It is conditioned on your part, on your duty as far as giving is concerned. Then it says, according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus. The reason why all of our needs would be provided for based on this verse, when it says riches here, what does that mean? It means that we have a rich God. Say to your neighbor, we have a rich God. Come on, say, say it with faith. We have a rich God. Amen. There you go. You're already rich by saying that. Now, how rich is God? Well, first of all, let me ask you. Is our God infinite? Yes or no? Is our God infinite? Yes or no? Yes, He is. If our God is infinite, His supply will also be what? infinite. That is why His supply is actually unlimited. Diba kitang mga Pinoy, ganahan sa unlimited rice. Well, God's supply is unlimited. Hallelujah. Amen. We have at our disposal the limitless supply of divine wealth. Now, here's another thing I'd like to point out. It says, and my God, what does it say? Will. It did not say can. 
Now, what's the difference? If I replace that with, and my God can supply all your needs, what's the difference between will and can? Well, here's the difference. Can speaks about ability or the power or the capacity to do it. But the question is, is he willing? Because I may have the power, the capacity, the willing, I I I may have the capacity and the power to do something, but the issue is, am I willing to do it? Now, here's the thing. Our God is not only almighty and all-powerful, He is willing. Amen? Our God is a willing God. Amen? So that speaks of certainty. Say certainty, please. Say certainty. Amen? So what else do we need to ask for? If it is certain, if it will happen, hallelujah, praise God. And many people over time have proven God to be true. You have William Colgate, the one who is the founder of Colgate Toothpaste. You have the founder of Quaker Oats. And I can give you an entire list of people who have seen the faithfulness of God because they were generous givers to the work of the Lord. Many people have abounded because of their faithfulness in giving. One of them would be candy manufacturer John S. Hullier, who started out in the candy business, and he took Jacob's pledge in Genesis 28, verse 22, which says, Of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And his story is, Going to the bank, he opened a special account, which he initialed M.P. And so his friends asked him, what does M.P. mean? And he said, M.P. means my partner. And he was referring to God. Amen? Because God, after all, is really our business partner. Amen? And so here's what happened. As he kept God uppermost in his mind in all his transactions, his industry grew at a phenomenal rate. And each week, the Lord's treasury received increasingly large sums of money. His gifts to worthy causes and private individuals amazed his business associates. They, they, They could not imagine how he could prosper this this fast. The growth was really phenomenal. These contributions were always accompanied with the request that the donor should not receive any thanks or glory for his actions. He wanted to be incognito. He asked each recipient to offer praise to God alone, for he said, after all, The money is not mine, it is the Lord's. Amen? It belongs to the Lord. Now, here's another point. It says here, and my God will supply all your what? It did not say greeds. Did you see that? Because we need to balance that. 
Because some of you might be reading this in a wrong way. Oh, hallelujah. I will give to the Lord because I want a Bentley. I want a BMW. I want a Mercedes-Benz. I want a Rolls-Royce. I want a private airplane. Friends, it doesn't say greeds. It says needs. I recall Pastor Bernard Henson. He came late because his flight was delayed. He was preaching in the Middle East, but his flight was delayed. So one of the people told him, Pastor Bernard, I'm going to pray that you will have a private airplane so that you will not be late for ministry. And at the back of Pastor Bernard's mind, he said, Lord, thank you that you did not answer this person's prayer because if you gave me a private plane, where will I park it? <laughs> so again, let's balance this. Because we do not want to be sounding like the prosperity preachers. Well, God prospers us. He, he causes us to, to have abundance, but it is never for ourselves. It is always so that we might be generous. It is always so that we might be a blessing to other people. Here's a very important principle. When the child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then he will have every need met. The statement of J. Hudson Taylor is a classic statement. It is... It is overcoated, or maybe I should say it is undercoated. And this is so beautiful. This is what he said. God's work is done, I'm sorry, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. Let me say it again. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. Let me close with a verse. Proverbs 11:25. This is so beautiful. Can you read this for me? All right, at the count of 3. 1 2 read. One more time. For the last time, louder please. I'm only hearing the women. All right. For the last time, everybody, one, two, three. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I want to hear it. Do you believe this? Yes. Because it is God speaking. The words of God are God breathed. When you are a generous person, when you water other people, you yourself will be watered back in return. That's how it is. Again, let me just remind you, the picture here is agriculture and farming. Don't expect that, oh, I'm going to give today, I'm going to receive something tomorrow. No, you need to continue sowing and sowing and sowing. And as the book of Galatians chapter 6 says, in due time. There is a harvest time. There is a harvest season. So I hope that 
by expounding on this particular passage, we saw the profits that come from generosity. And hopefully, this will challenge us to be generous givers to the Lord. Not only generous givers, but consistently generous givers to the work of the Lord. Let me close with a story. There was a miserly Christian who finally gained victory over his grasping, self-centered old nature, and he became a generous man. Being elderly and nearly deaf, he would always sit as close as he could to the pulpit, and he would cup his ears to listen to every word that the preacher is saying. It so happened that the preaching that morning was on cheerful giving. And he got convicted. He was moved, and he murmured to himself, I will give $10 today. But at the close of the appeal, he was deeply convicted and exclaimed under his breath, No, no, no. $10 is not enough. I will make it $50. I'm going to give $50 today. But when the deacon started taking the collection, his high resolve began to weaken, and he was beginning to think, should I or should I not? And as he debated with himself, he did not realize, remember he was deaf, he did not realize that his whispers were so loud that many people could hear him. He was really struggling. So finally, the collection plate finally reached him, and those sitting nearby could see the agony of his struggle with greed. Suddenly, he gained the victory, and putting his well-filled billfold into the offering plate, he muttered, Now squirm, old nature! And he put the $50, and a newfound joy immediately flooded his soul, and he had given till it felt good. And that experience became a turning point in his Christian life, for he had conquered his covetousness. I did not share this last Sunday because the person concerned was here, and I did not want him to lose his reward. But the other week, he was talking to me about being thrilled about giving to the work of the Lord. He said, you know, it just thrills me to give. You know what he did just very recently? And by the way, he never publish, publishes the good things that he does for the church. By the way, he was the one who, who bought, remember we were giving ear, um, hearing aids for free? He was the one who bought that. By the way, we still have some hearing aids. And if there are some of you who are, who are of need of a hearing aid, we'll give it to you for free. All right? He was the one who gave that. And then all over this hall right now, this hall is filled with telecoils. Now, what does a telecoil do? What a telecoil does is if you have a hearing aid, all you need to do is switch it to the letter T. When you switch it to the letter T, you will get everything that you hear from, 
from the sound system. So it's going to be direct to the sound system. So everything will be crisp and clear to you. Not only that, he felt in his heart that he wanted to be a blessing to us so that we could really spread the word all over the world through our live streaming and through the YouTube. So you know what? He bought us TV equipment worth something like almost 2 million pesos. This is the man, by the way, he's, he's an old man, and he was saying, you know, I want the rest of my days to be days wherein I will just be investing for the work of the Lord. And what he said really touched my heart. I am thrilled with giving. And I am praying to God that you and I will have the same kind of heart. We would be thrilled with giving. Because after all, what do we have to lose? We have a rich God. Amen? We have a rich God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, forgive us for the many times we have not believed your promises. Forgive us for the many times we saw you as small, puny, tiny, insignificant. What lack of faith, what unbelief we have in our hearts. And Lord, we will be ashamed when we face you in eternity. We will be ashamed with how little we saw you. When in truth, heaven and earth cannot contain you. You are bigger than heaven and you are bigger than earth. And so, Lord, as we meditate on the word that was preached this morning, may we see it not as Pastor Mel's word, but may we see it as your word. You are speaking to us, and the Spirit of God has empowered His word. And what we need to do is respond to the Word of God, not reject it, but believe it and apply it and obey it in our lives. My prayer, O Lord, is that we would be like this brother who said, giving just thrills my heart. May we have that kind of a heart. Because after all, there is a twofold profit when we are consistently generous. We have a spiritual prophet. We bring a smile on your face. And then we lay treasures in heaven. But even here on earth, your promise is that you will supply not just some, but all of what we need. May we trust you and believe you that you are true to your promises because that is who you are. You are a covenant-keeping God, and we thank you. You are our God. And we would not have it any other way. Oh, Father, we bless you. 
So we thank you for this opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, our offerings, that it might be a fragrant aroma, that it might be a sacrifice, that it might be well-pleasing to you. And we claim your promise, and my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And to your promise, we say, Amen, Lord, we believe it. And whatever has been achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Let's stand up from our seats. God is amen. One of the things that God continually challenges me with is my perspective of Him, my view of Him. Even as a pastor, even as I have been studying the Word of God, I must admit there were moments, there have been moments of doubt. There have been moments wherein I'm thinking, Lord, are you going to pull through? Are you going to deliver? Are you going to make me victorious? And as I wait upon the Lord and wait for His voice to speak to me as I meditate on the Scriptures, I wait for that word that would generate faith in my heart. And time and time and time again, God opens up my spiritual eyes and I begin to see a picture of God and the picture that I see is His greatness, His power, His might, His glory. Oftentimes, God reminds me, I am a covenant-keeping God. One time, as I was praying, God spoke to me and said, Son, I have called you since birth, and I will be faithful to you until the day you die. What an encouragement. What a blessing that was to my heart, knowing that God is watching me. He's seeing my steps. He's joining me in this journey. But more than that, He's guiding me. He's guarding me. He's keeping me. He's sustaining me. He's delivering me. And His might and His power is there for me and for you because the God that we serve is able. Amen? Our God is able.